I'm just going to summarize these stage playoffs. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, fun. Welcome to another episode of the Ready, Set, Poem podcast, your premier source for everything to do with the Vancouver Titans. I am Chris at Lightforce, the voice you get to hear each and every week, unless I'm on a cruise ship up to Alaska. Joined, as always, by Omni at Omni Stripe. Missing in action is Sam at another Sam Chan. You see, he went to Hawaii, and he's having to get accustomed to coming home, so we gave him the night off, but don't worry. We got a superb guest joining us here. We've got John Jang. You might know him from the uh, local uh, radio waves on Sportsnet 650, but uh, little do you know, John is a Sumit Remain willing to carry you all the way in competitive Welcome to the show, John. Uh, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. A lot of fun to be here. And uh, it's too bad Sam couldn't make it, but aloha to him. And hopefully he had a, a very nice, enjoyable trip there in Hawaii. And I'm excited to get this going. Ready, set, pwn. My first guest appearance. How exciting. Well, you you joined us actually at the watch party. And I'd say us loosely. I wasn't there. That was the yeah. one where I was on the cruise. But, uh, you know, the, the watch parties themselves is a obviously a good way to to connect with people and uh i i actually didn't know at the time prior to that at least that uh you were into overwatch like has this been a, a always thing or somehow did you fall in the game and enjoy it uh i i've been i've been playing video games for for a long long time specifically pc games but i was a little later to join overwatch so i didn't join right off the first season uh it took me I think up until season four or five, I can't remember exactly, uh, but a lot of my friends were playing. So I would look over what they were doing uh, when I'm visiting them at their place and kind of got intrigued, a little interested. I'd be like, okay, so this is what the game is looking like. Blizzard came out with an FPS. That's kind of cool. I might look into that. I'm a big Blizzard guy. So then I picked it up for myself and uh, haven't really been able to stop playing ever since. It's just such an addicting game much to the chagrin of uh you know all my family my friends who don't play overwatch but you know what this sr is not going to climb on its own so i got to keep grinding away that's true so omni uh i didn't mean to ignore you there uh but what have you been up to this I, i missed you at the uh the watch party you were apparently packing house yeah, unlike some other guys on this pod, I don't get to go on cruises and to Hawaii. <laughs> I actually have like to deal with grown up stuff like moving and going to work and having responsibility. But at least my wife plays Overwatch, so I can't complain there. Um, I oh, just, that's great. Uh, man. <laughs> yeah, just finished a bunch of uh, rounds of uh, Lucio Ball, most useless fun in Overwatch. Uh, but that <laughs> Torb skin, I gotta have it. Oh, I have it. Yeah, I got it already. Holy yeah. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I had like over three thousand of those uh, coins all saved up, and I figured, you know what? Oh, it's I not going to get any better than that. This is the yeah. best game ever. Yeah, that See, makes sense. I have like nine thousand, but I, I'm not using them until it's like late into the event. If I had blonde hair and a beard, I'd look like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with the dad bod these days. It's very trendy. Yeah, I can totally but relate. That's probably the only time where it'll be it'll hurt you of being so tall. <laughs> I always ask this game randomly when I start like playing, and uh, if I don't have any friends in my in, in the team chat, whatever, just to break the ice and open conversation, I'll always ask people, "Hey, if you had the choice, would you rather have Roadhog's body or Torbjorn's height?" And uh, it's always a little fun question to throw out because everyone's like, "Wow, that's that's really a tough one. Can I have both?" 
<laughs> so I, I think it's a fun little question to throw out there. Maybe I'll ask you guys. Torbjorn Height or Roadhog Body, if you, uh, if you, if you had the choice right now? Oh, Roadhog Body. Uh, I guess Roadhog Body. I'm getting there. Yeah. A couple of years. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'd want to like be able to reach my freezer without, you know, bringing the <laughs> <over>. <laughs> Gotta be able to grab the sodas. But if yeah, you, you were get- like Torb Height and if you could hook like a hog, that'll be uh, better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like playing Odd Job in the old Golden Eye. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Slappers only. <laughs> Um, but here we are actually here to talk about the Vancouver Titans. So let's uh, give you a quick rundown of what we're going to cover. So the stage three finals have come and gone and spoiler alert, the Vancouver Titans did not win the stage, but at least if there is some saving grace, they got beat by the team that did. We'll get into that. Uh, there is a whole lot of news that broke uh, today. Normally this type of news comes out an hour after we release this podcast. So we're appreciative that our, our call in to, to Blizzard HQ had them share it on a Tuesday, mm. so we don't have to sit on it for a week. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going to happen next season, schedule-wise, uh, conference-wise, division-wise. A few moves, Summer Games is back, and uh, you know what? No sense uh, holding it back. Let's uh, jump straight into the payload. Hey, Force of Nature faithful, this is your favorite Vancouver Titans podcast host, Chris, at Life Force here, and I've got a question for you. Do you happen to be looking for an eSports jersey designer? Well, you need to check out TimberflynnConcepts.com. That is actually Timber Flynn, who you might know on the Vancouver Titans Discord or through social media, and he designed some of the best eSports jerseys that I've ever seen. Now, these unique designs that he creates also come for a very low price because he understands that eSports organizations can't always afford that much. So really, you pay what you can. You can't get a better deal than that. Now, He can't physically print the jerseys, you're still on the hook to get that done, but the designs themselves have been used by Overwatch World Cup teams for promotional aspects, the University of Louisiana Fayette, and professional soccer teams. So again, check out TimberflynnConcepts.com for all your esports jersey needs. Moving the payload! Join me! Going into the stage three playoffs, we knew early on that the uh, Houston Outlaws uh, were matching up to the the Vancouver Titans. And there was some concern that Houston might be able to go and do what others have not, or maybe what the LA Valiant had done to the Vancouver Titans. Uh, And what we saw on uh, Thursday night, that that wasn't actually the case. Uh, The Vancouver Titans embraced the Sombrana meta, uh, with Stitch in rotating Janu out for... So and so, and uh, things went well. I actually don't know if there's much to say about this match because one, it's Houston, lol, uh, but also <laughs> the Vancouver Titans did what they were supposed to. They beat a lower seeded team. And any thoughts on on what we saw there on Thursday night? I'm just thinking you're a bit too generous here. I don't think there was that much of a concern. Uh, gap was a bit too big. Um, I don't see how Houston can win a game against Titans, especially considering their, um, you know, backline, their supports. It's, uh, leaves much to be desired. So unless Lingzer has like an incredible day, Muma carries and which didn't really happen. Also, uh, the fact that the game was best of five helped us out a little bit in schedule. So, uh, it was an easy game. It might have actually hurt us in the long run as we will uh, talk about soon, but nothing to say, like you said. 
Yeah, and for me, I, I mean, I'm not totally surprised at all. I think uh, I echo a lot of the same thoughts that Omni is talking about here, where Houston, and, and you know, there's several teams in the Overwatch League where I just look at it and think there's not much of a competition. With respect, not trying to throw dirt at any of the other teams here, but you know that when Vancouver is going, that they're they're one of the top teams, and six and one in stage three. I, I just kind of looked at this match and thought, you know what, it's probably going to go exactly the way I thought, and lo and behold, kind of did. The, the Outlaws put up a little bit of a fight, you could say, on, on Volskaya, right. uh, but that was, that was it. And the fact that it was, you know, first to three, it was just a matter. Was it going to be a 3-0 or was it going to be a 3-1? What I found quite surprising, though, is that the Outlaws chose Volskaya over Paris. Now, granted, Paris isn't their best map either, mm-hmm. but if there is a, a map that the Vancouver Titans find as their kryptonite uh it's uh paris so mm-hmm. i'm curious if if you're running the show down there in houston why would you not choose paris great question i guess being down oh two to the titans maybe they thought well the titans probably anticipate us to pick that map and maybe they prepared actually th- for Volskaya, and they actually give us a quite of a fight there. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd choice, definitely. Maybe they don't feel as comfortable playing that map either. Um, but I'm I'm out with my guesses. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it, it, there's a train of thought. Like, if you want to try and give yourself the best chance to win, you can either dictate that your opponent plays on a in, in a situation where they're least comfortable, so to speak, or you can go the other way, which is what Houston ended up doing, and and try and go for an environment that also might better suit your your, your skill set. And and maybe they didn't think enough about those two choices because you're right. Maybe, maybe if they had gone with the Paris option, we'd be talking about a slightly different result there. But overall, I mean, I think you just try to do the best with what you have and, and not worry so much about what the opponent is good or bad at. I don't know if that makes a whole ton of sense, but why worry about what the other team is is doing whereas you can just focus on the strengths of your team and the strength of your players and teammates and understanding the the dynamics of, of what you have going there as opposed to worrying too much about what the uh, the bank of titans might be worrying and wondering about well you know, you know traditional sports probably better than omni and i and that generally holds true there but what we've seen at least in the overwatch league is while some teams will say that you know yeah. like the meta of three three or goats we see teams that are horrible at goats playing goats because they feel well we can't do anything else because that's what they're playing and we have to match them right i'm not i'm not taking away i totally agree with you i think you play to your strengths you always start with you as opposed to worrying about someone else it's no different than you know trying not to lose or trying to win if you're trying not to lose Mm -hmm. you're focusing on losing like it's it's just that i i think for whatever reason and maybe it comes on the fact that houston wasn't that good at Paris, uh, but they chose Volskaya, which is one of the Titans' strongest maps. It, it just yeah. confused me. And yeah, maybe it was to shake things up. Maybe the Titans would have really focused on Paris being chosen, and hey, <clears throat> maybe we'll get that win. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Good for the Titans. We're all happy. Now, before we talk a little bit about uh, the semifinal that the Vancouver Titans played in, we're going to mix things up here. Normally in the fray is when we get into the rest of the league, but I think it bears mentioning that the way the stage three playoffs went was not the way anyone 
predicted. So we're mm-hmm. going to go and talk a little bit about the uh, other matches in the quarterfinals. So first and foremost, you had the Shanghai Dragons and the New York Excelsior face off after the Titans Outlaws on Thursday night. For those of you who remember tuning into our podcast last week, this match was one that we talked about as being, eh, you know, New York, maybe. But I think all three of us, myself, Omni, and uh, and Shy Guy, we all said, oh, yeah, New York is going to win this. So how the heck do the Shanghai Dragons beat the New York Excelsior 3-1? At the time, I thought it was classic New York just choking due to the pressure of the playoffs. So I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it was not really a super close match. It ended up with a um, 3-1. And I thought, okay, it happens to New York a lot. They lost in the same fashion to Seoul. They lost, uh, even in season one, a bunch of games like that, but they actually didn't choke like we all thought, I, I think. Uh, so congratulations for New York, maybe. I don't know, but I was relatively surprised that it didn't, uh, follow through with their strategy from, from the stage where they play, uh, Sabiolbi and mm-hmm. they went back to whatever they, uh, that they, they were running. They, I, I guess they thought that going back to basics will be, more effective against Shanghai, who run this haphazard uh, triple DPS uh, or, you know, that 2-2-2. And they thought it might be working for them, but it didn't. Mm. Even though, you know, how we, we, we call it surgical in this podcast, it didn't really work. So uh, looking back, like hindsight is always twenty twenty. I can totally see uh, that the strategy wasn't good. But at the time, I, I just thought it was a choke. I yeah I think it's a choke 100%. I mean I think for for New York and uh I mean this happens in all different facets of sports. You you tend to look at your opponents and uh, wonder how much do we need to game plan for this specific team and giving you know the history of the Dragons and knowing exactly like the kind of troubles and tribulations that they went through over the past number of seasons, maybe they were just not worried enough about them and then coming into this match thinking you know what we can just do what we are usually good at and not worry about what the dragons are rolling out with because it's it's the dragons right like you would have a natural tendency to maybe favor that kind of philosophy whereas going into this match obviously you overthought it the opponents weren't given the respect that they were totally deserving and do of and, and the dragons managed to find somehow some way a uh, uh, tactic maneuver strategies to actually pull off a win here like if you had told the Dragons fan that this would have been um, the result, like maybe a year, they probably would have slapped you across the face and called you insane because mm-hmm. this is that unbelievable. Well, I mean, I, I, if, oh, and 40 to their first playoff win. Yeah. 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 And another thing about New York, I'm a bit jumping ahead here, but compared to whatever uh, Titans were trying to achieve against Shanghai and later uh, San Francisco shock, New York kept that weird pattern of never adapting, never really changing your strategy mid game. And uh, that always comes to bite them when it hurts the most during the playoffs. And it's disappointing really. Well, with the Dragons beating the New York Excelsior 3-1, that threw our prognostications completely out of whack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that guaranteed that the Titans were going to face the Dragons. In the last episode, we said there was a possibility they'd face the Spark and a possibility they'd face the Valiant, neither of which happened. So that said, uh, let's talk a little bit about Friday's uh, results. So San Francisco beat Seoul 3-1. I feel that San Francisco gets through based more on the mistakes that Seoul made rather than the, uh, you know, 
standout gameplay that uh, we would expect from the San Francisco Shock. Am I wrong to think that? You're right. I don't know. Soul. <laughs> I'm bored talking about Soul because, frankly, uh, they always resort to this weird um, strategy of, all right, we'll just go in and try. You know, you said sometimes uh, teams try not to lose. That's kind of what I feel Soul has been doing, not for just the first season, but the second season now as well. I guess they did try and rehaul their rosters. And then uh, you had that thing with Fisher uh, retiring or quitting on the team, whatever you want to call it. But I, I don't really get what what the tone is uh, for this team going in. Sometimes they would go uh, very uh, defensive. Sometimes they'll try something else. I'm happy to see that they did play Fleta um, a little bit during that match. But again, so underwhelming, so... Uh, it's kind of like they they reach those stages uh, by default, just not being as terrible as some of the other teams are in the league. But they never amount to anything more than that. Than that, you know, in like in in sports, you always have that team that uh, they're fine. They'll get to the playoffs. They got to the like the eighth seed, but they'll never go anywhere. They're always locked in this constant cycle of just being, you know, mediocre. And that's kind of what I feel Soul is right now, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I'm with Omnia. I don't. I know it was, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but I do think that that really sudden Fisher announcement of him, you know, essentially retiring like that, it it still might have had obviously a lingering impact to to Soul here, and the fact that this was really unforeseen, and, and I don't know if you guys have heard an, a, a real official explanation for it. I haven't personally looked into it so much, but mm-hmm. the fact that a team has to then rally after that and and try and figure out, okay. Um, we're obviously going to have to fill, find find the right subs. We're going to have to find a way to make this all work. But having to deal with that sort of a distraction, even though it was a couple of weeks ago, I get it. It's still maybe lingering for them. And any true team, any true pro sports team doesn't want to have to deal with those kind of things. You ideally, of course, go into every match having consistency, not just between the strategies that you have, but the, the, the roster that you have. So maybe this still played a, a bit of a role there because, I mean, imagine it this way. If, if all of a sudden Bumper retired from the bank for Titans, I'm knocking on wood that it doesn't happen. But if something like that were to happen, I, I would imagine it would take more than just a couple of weeks for the bank for Titans to have to sort of rally and, and find their, their rhythm after something like that. Yeah, and and just just saying though, even if they do have a great day, I I don't think they have a much chance against uh, the shock. The shock are one of the like top tier teams and, and are just that good. They they yeah. cannot falter against a team like that. And so something about their approach to the game, I I, I keep coming back to that interview they gave. Um, I think it was Rudu Jehong and someone else. They when they asked them about what do you think about your upcoming match against the Titans, and he said like. Please be gentle. We we know we're gonna lose. And like you never say that. Who would ever say that? Like in your right minds as a e athlete or whatever you want to call that. Even if even if, if you know that in your heart, you never go out and say that. So, uh, kind of a weird weird culture setting up there in what was hailed. It feels like a million years ago, but it was hailed to be as like this dark empire that's gonna dominate uh, the Overwatch League. It's just I don't know. It, well, it's, it's the, the heart of a competitor to never go and say, we don't stand a chance, but occasionally right. you see, you see teams sort of float the idea of the underdog. And maybe that's what Soul yeah. was trying to do. I, I um, 
you know, for those who tuned in to the, the pre-match uh, and post-match analysis that we provided for the stage uh, three final, uh, Michael uh, at Sungwoo Jim had shared the, the traditional sports analogy of the Los Angeles Kings over the Vancouver Canucks, where LA had positioned themselves, yeah, we're going to go in and we're going to fight, but they're the eight seed. Vancouver was the one and mm. they played that underdog card well, mm. and then they got on a roll. And I'm not suggesting Seoul was trying to, you know, channel their inner Los Angeles king right. here, but you know, there is that concept of we got to play the underguard underdog card. So one, the component that we're we're facing maybe takes us a little, you know, for granted. But two, you know, people always get behind the underdog. No, I think uh, that's a that's a pretty valid point. Like I remember, uh, was it this past World Juniors, or maybe it was the year past in 2017, early 2018? But uh, Team Switzerland, when they took on Team Canada, like we all know the result of what that's going to look like. And after the match, where Canada clearly comes out, you know, on top, uh, the Swiss head coach, you know, makes this comment like they're faster, they're bigger, they're stronger, they shoot better, they pass better, they're so much better at everything, basically. But I think you know the timing matters, and and because that was made after the fact not before mm-hmm. the fact you know you can maybe get away with that a little bit more but when you are you're right like an athlete uh, imagine being that guy's teammate imagine being anyone's teammate and your mm-hmm. teammate just going and saying like yeah we don't stand a chance why even bother you yeah know, would that upset you a little bit yeah and that sort of approach would fit like a bottom feeder and this is not a bottom feeding team it's mm-hmm. it's an above average team that's why i think it like jar- even more jarring than like i would expect it to come from florida or washington but not like a team like seoul you're like the only uh, korean based team please just have some dignity mm-hmm. well to move on from the shock beating the dynasty let's talk a little bit about the valiant spark fight now this this was a slobber knocker this uh, ended up being three two for the valiant this is the one that we had thought would be the upset even though the valiant were probably seeded lower than really their play dictated near the end of the the third stage yeah. um just to sort of quickly run through this particular match you know the valiant go and dictate play they win on ilios uh the spark choose hollywood north they take a card out of the titans book and win that one three one the valiant decide we're going to go in paris the hongjiao spark and i guess they must have gotten confused because the spark chose hollywood north uh Mm. spark win two one so the spark now have match point in best of three the valiant choose havana win three two and then the spark choose oasis and promptly lose that two oh again valiant go through Uh, this one, I, you know, could have gone either way. We had been flipping coins. I can't remember what else we tried to do to decide the result of this one. Um, I suspect that this was the result the Titans had prepared for, but I don't think the Vancouver Titans had presumed that the Dragons would get past NYXL. Could it be that what we're going to talk about next was based on the fact the Titans thought they were playing the Valiant? Uh, I, I don't want to think that that was the case, just a little bit unprofessional, too too unprofessional to my tastes. I'm I'm definitely with you that that was probably the most probable scenario. That's what everybody anticipated, but I don't think that should have any implications on on uh, your preparations, especially in a turbulent stage like that when when everything can happen, especially mm-hmm. when you have uh, New York on one end of this uh, game. But again, like Valiant Spark, we talked about it last week. Like you said, 
this is kind of like what I would like to see from a team like Seoul, right? We, we already talked about it. These teams, they don't back down. Uh, and they ha- already had a game this stage, and it also went down the line to the last, like, m- fifth map. Valiant should be pleased with themselves. They finished off their best stage this season. I'm not really sure where they go from here in, in this new meta, in this 2-2-2 lock that might be coming. Will we ever see uh, their star diva player space with her? place in the meta it's weird but they should be happy they shouldn't that that is probably their only concern um about the spark uh despite this upset here um and it's hard to call it an upset right all, all these teams are so clamped up in this in the, in the standings um i expect they, they have this never-ending trend of perpetual improvement they always come back better and i definitely expect them to be like a top tier team again in the next stage about this game, you you we can talk we can talk about like the strategies until we're blue in the face. But it was a good game, and both teams are on the uprise. I'm excited to see more from them. Not to try and be a contrarian, but I do think that there is some truth to the Titans maybe not having fully prepared for the eventual brackets that shaped mm-hmm. out to be. I think when you are playing in a league or something like this there's only so much time you have you have to dedicate to training and practicing and then likewise learning your opponent's strategies and learning your opponent's tendencies and you're right i similar to what excelsior kind of went through maybe the titans didn't pay enough proper respect to uh, uh the, to, to the dragons and right. anticipated that this wouldn't be a matchup that they even have to worry about so if 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 you're giving it a chance like a probability the way you guys are describing in, in the previous episodes is that if you had given it such a low chance imagine then being the coaches for the titans harsha and thinking okay well what is most likely going to happen? And let's plan for that because probability suggests that this is going to be the likely match that we're going to have to be preparing for anyways. So if you are preparing for a completely different opponent and all of a sudden you find, okay, our game plan is no longer valid and Mm -hmm. no longer viable to use the strategies that we had in mind, you you kind of just have to go based on the things that you're strong at. Now, like, thankfully, I think the Vancouver Titans are pretty well-rounded. So I think usually from opponent to opponent, they still know their fundamentals. They're still very good and all that and positioning yeah. and all this. But maybe there is something, some little shred of truth of them sort of overlooking the fact that it could have been the Dragons and eventually ending up uh, being so. The the thought I have, and I, I think this goes back to something that we heard Bumper say earlier in the season, uh, he hates scrimming. <laughs> it's, it's, he just wants to play. Yeah. Part of me wonders if they do have the sort of a limited amount of focus when it comes to actually scrimming and they're professionals. I'm going to yeah. give them their due. They, they do prepare. They yeah. did probably prepare based on probabilities. Yes. I think the Titans can, you know, stand up next to nearly any team on any given day. But if, if let's say you look at what the dragons did I and mean, the dragons saw their bracket. They, they figured out we needed to get through NYXL. We're probably going to have to get through the Titans. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they probably would have to get through the, the shock. I and mean, they were at the bottom. There's, it's short of upset city. That was the path they needed to go through. Whereas for the Titans, there were, there are multiple possibilities based mm-hmm. on the, the play of, of, of different teams. So ultimately, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, getting into this, this semifinal between the dragons and Titans, uh, the dragons probably had that little extra preparation, which voted well for them because what we saw is them defeat the Vancouver Titans four to one. Now, yeah. 
this blew my mind that it was so lopsided. But when you look back at how the dragons played this, this match, it was, where's Twilight? Take him out and we can clean the rest of the Titans up if need be. I mean, the uh, first map, Ilios, this is the Titans bread and butter. Mm. And the dragons took them out for dinner and didn't drive them home. Like it was brutal. Um, and yeah. uh, like at one point, I think Ding was essentially uh, Twilight's valet to the graveyard. <laughs> you know, he was floating around the map. Where's Twilight? Well, it's Twilight. Okay, I'll toss a couple rockets over here. Found him yeah. dead. Okay, now let's focus because we've seen how the Titans, as sort of the hive mind, with their yeah. support line, can allow Bumper to play with reckless abandon and allow uh, Janu and 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 Haxall to mix it up like that. That you know is their their play style. And when they don't play as aggressive, that's where we've seen them struggle. So watching them lose 2 0 on their, to the Shanghai Dragons, you know, set off, you know, warning bells. We then saw them go into Nambani, which we often refer to as Nambani North because of the Titans' dominance. And Shanghai is able to push with like a minute and a half in the time bank. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, you know, Twilight, having had enough of, you know, eating rockets all day, makes a call. So then the Titans roll out some wacky quad tank comp where you had Stitch on Roadhog, you had Haxall mm-hmm. on Diva, uh, Bumper on Winston. Uh, at that point, someone who had been brought in for Janus. You had the Slambulance. Yeah. Was, and then you had uh, Twilight on Moira. Mm. Yeah. And in slime playing uh, that uh, damage hero, Lucio. And, uh, we, <laughs> you know, going into halftime, I'll be honest, I thought things had settled down. Yeah, because we've been there before, right? Titans often do drop that first map, starting really slow, kind of adapting. Uh, they feel like, oh, we got this. It's not a problem, really. And Shanghai, and normally they do have it in the end, but... Shanghai, when, when I was in the Air Force, we there's a there's a saying we say you start at your fastest and then you accelerate. That's, that's kind of how it felt playing against Shanghai. Titans did try a couple of things. Some were pretty effective. Stitches Hog is uh, apparently a pretty good ferret killer or counter, whatever okay. you want to call it. Tell me, tell me I'm <laughs> wrong here. Do the pros get a hook that's 50% longer than the rest of us? That looks like it all the time. Yeah. You can also see the future a bit. Yeah, no so, <laughs> but it always felt like we were playing to their tune, right? We were trying to beat them at their game. And it felt like a stark difference only due to the fact since the majority of the season so far, we were like, you know, the trailbla- uh, the trailblazers who, who set the pace with our aggro goats. But now, even though we tried to adapt and was successful sometimes, these guys were doing this dance even before it was cool, right? This triple DPS, four DPS, mm-hmm. they, they never gave a damn so they felt much more comfortable much more adaptable to those small uh fights that were happening sometimes they had a a, a, a hero fall and the mercy just swooped in and rezzed it felt like they were in their comfort zone while we weren't and that's how dps um meta is while it is super punishable um their coordination was pretty pretty on point like I do believe that Haxel and Stitch are not less talented than DM or Ding 
on DPS. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that playing a different meta for so long and also yeah. so successfully so well, that gets you out of rhythm. Rhythm. Ask like Carpe and EQO who were the best DPS duo by far last season. Ask them today how, well, we don't have to ask them. We just <laughs> see how they play Far and Widow and it does not look pretty. Last two maps, we basically see nine twice. Mm. When execution is so important, like that's basically a sign of Titans not being focused, uh, being out of rhythm, being startled really, and and like realizing way too late that oh no, we we are not prepared for this. We're uh, we're going to lose this. I have a few friends who would love to see the Titans adopt just a little bit, like a shred of the Dragon's philosophy, where it's like, you know what, forget goats, forget the three three. Let's just run more DPS. That's not you know, at the end of matches where we know we've got the inevitable win. At the same time, you just continue to do what, what, what works best for you. The Titans have managed to be so successful and utterly dominant when ro- rolling out the GOATS meta that when you come across an opponent that just doesn't care about GOATS and shrugs it right. off, it, it forces you to play a different style that maybe you're not 100% comfortable with. And again, maybe not knowing the Dragons' uh, tendencies, player habits, like luffy with with some of those sneaky dark man like those grenades too were just on point like just everything that the dragons were doing really well at seemed to have really thrown off what the titans were expecting to have done this entire time so it was it was well well done by the dragons like here's the thing i don't think we're ever going to see this kind of a performance from the dragons again maybe i'll end up eating crow for saying something like that but Lightning in a bottle, uh, good for the dragons to have done what they did. But this is the kind of ass kicking, or sorry, uh, butt kicking, pardon me, <laughs> that the Titans and Excelsior hopefully need to sort of figure out, just get, get back to respecting your opponents and, and understanding that there are no quote unquote weak enemies in the Overwatch League. I should just uh, make a correction here. The meta is called um, goats, not donkeys. But. <laughs> <laughs> I like but, a like it said, they did they did try some wacky comps throughout the stage, but it was when things didn't really matter. We saw Axel Doomfist, we saw a Reaper, but it was too late. And and it always felt like, okay, we'll just go goats, and it's like a cheat code. We win. Well, so yeah. I actually want to talk a little bit about ghosts, because we saw the Vancouver Titans when you know money was on the table decide, damn, this is what we need to do. Um mm-hmm. just talking a little bit of Volvo Skya though. Volskaya goes to the Dragons. What I don't quite understand is the Vancouver Titans completely roll point A. And then it was almost as if they were playing what I experience in quick play going into to the second <laughs> point where the hive mind was of two minds. Um, and, and they they seem to not want to really adapt to to what the dragons were were essentially continually to roll out the late switch for stitch going into a to a McCree why a McCree over a soldier I'm not entirely sure um, was odd like it, it, it's like the Titans were almost confused not only that but he it kind of was a weird decision. It, it, it took too long. They went with Salmon Sue on McCree, and then he's like, okay, it doesn't work. Uh, Stitch, you go, McCree. Like you said, in, in quick play. Yeah. It, uh, that's how it felt. It was it was really confusing. Now, the Titans lose Volskaya. If they have to choose between Havana, Watchpoint Gibraltar, or Dorado, why do they choose Havana? 
The Titans, mm. I don't think, have the Titans ever made it past the second point on Havana? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Like, sure, they've won by getting a, a, a first point hold, but that's because they themselves were a first point hold. Havana was nuts. Like the Titans were just banging their heads against the table. Uh, Luffy was able to keep Gamsu alive, pretty much everyone alive, but Gamsu specifically. Um, so much staggering that the Vancouver Titans just ran out of choices. Then on defense, the Titans are like, yeah, screw it. You had the craziest comp at one point. It was like double sniper bunker. Um, right. You had it, I think at one point, you know, s- a sniper battle at, uh, while the point was being escorted. It was like, I'm just looking at the, uh, the, the, uh, compositions here, sorry, uh, for her, for Havana. And I, I can't make hide nor hair of it. Like it seemed real. That's what the Vancouver Titans decided to do is like, ah, you know what? We're going to go crazy and crazy will work for us. Crazy didn't. Mm-hmm. So then we go into Oasis where they finally decide, you know what? We're going to go to our original six. Stitch comes out. Janu comes in. And what do they roll mm-hmm. out? They roll out goats. And arguably, what? it did okay. And they then also decided we need to adapt on Oasis by running out the, the Somansu soldier. Unfortunately, when the Vancouver Titans essentially had won the fight, they had, they had the picks they needed they had yep. SMS popping tactical advisor chasing down a mercy. The hive mind failed. They did not have mm. someone on that point <clears throat> to allow overtime to ex- or to not expire. And uh, like, could you say that the Titans were triggered at that point? They don't make those mistakes. Yeah, they were tilted. You could totally see that. Mm-hmm. I, this is. This is something I'm wondering, and and I've got my tinfoil hat on for this specific point, but I almost feel like they designed Havana to be a map that is almost anti-GOATS, oh, yeah. like anti-Triple right? So, oh, yeah. like, okay, so in the sense that it's really wide open, and if there's one section of the map that is maybe viable to run GOATS, it would be the second point. But as you pointed out, like, the Titans have such a difficult time getting to that second point and eventually being a successful push all the way to the third point that clearly like it, it, you're right like this was a confounding uh dumbfounding part of me choice in, in why they choose a map where historically it's not goats friendly so why choose a map that's kind of tailored to what the dragons would be good at which is a heavy dps format it, it really was a puzzling move and i wonder i don't think they know who will start on attack or defense uh when they pick a map is that right uh no i believe they do i i and i i can't i can't remember the the setup i believe loser picks um and loser starts i believe and havana maybe because it's so new but it's a weird map i think we saw it completed just twice so far this season by anyone in the league and yeah it was a weird composition just the choice of going it was a move of desperation just going widow against dm it's like even if the two dps on both sides are on the same level uh imagine going one-on-one against someone who's so warmed up who's been clicking heads (laughs) all playoffs Mm -hmm. against somebody who's uh not uh that accustomed to play it and the results weren't surprising really And we had that map where, where Young Jin just went uh, Doomfist. And and yeah, it, it was ugly. Well, as we've already pointed out, the Vancouver Titans ended their stage three playoff run by losing 
to the Shanghai Dragons. So that set up an 0-40 team going to, or 0-40 team last year, because they're no longer 0-40, they're actually having a a relatively uh, uh, decent season, uh, against the winner of the LA Valiant San Francisco Shock. Uh, For all intents and purposes, the Valiant were going to put up a heck of a fight. So explain to me, why did the San Francisco Shock win 4-0? Uh, some of these matches, you just you, you can break it down. Like we talked a bunch of times where we saw a match finish with a result that never reflected what was actually going on uh, during the match. And the Valiant, you can also maybe credit that a little bit to nerves. I mean, they did have a great starting to the stage and it is still their uh, first you know, playoff showing this season and they never went up against, you know, this, uh, I don't want to say veteran because these are kids playing this uh, game for like the second year now in the Overwatch League. But at this point, you can consider and an, the shock as, a, you know, a playoff veteran team. And, and it just felt weird this entire match. Uh, I, I, I didn't really enjoy uh, the competition, even though most fights were close. It never felt like the shock we're going to lose a game. I don't know why. What about it? Maybe I was still down after <laughs> us losing and, and looking at the shock just dominate. And I was so upset until at this point that any analysis from me uh, <laughs> is not not really great. It's interesting because uh, there there was like a lingering poison effect yes. by the uh, by by what happened there because like, why can't we win like this against mediocre teams? Right? <laughs> but then, uh, <laughs> like after after that particular match, Krusty uh, the the, the uh, from the shock said like we had just ten hours after the Valiant match uh, that includes sleeping and eating and we didn't have enough time to prepare to take on the dragon. So like in a way. The, the, there was like a lingering poison from winning this game is that you still managed to have all this exhaustion and maybe not enough time to fully prepare for the next thing, uh, for the next round. But it, it, it is kind of a confusing one. And uh, it, like I, I think Omni said it earlier on uh, a few minutes ago, like this, yes, like you, maybe you can't technically call this one so many upsets because of how close the standings really were. But in terms of how a lot of people, including all three of us, I'm sure, and how we sort of assumed the playoff brackets would, would sort of play out, th- this really was a surprise. Like every kind of matchup, every stage, every round, pardon me, along the way in this playoff, like it, there were a lot of surprising results. And this is just another one of those that you leave your head scratching and you wonder, okay, what the heck just happened here? There is no real reasonable explanation. It just kind of seemed like a really strange time for the Overwatch League where a lot of good teams and anticipated matchups never really got further along because of some surprising results. Well, with the San Francisco rollover, the LA Valiant for, oh, that set up a final uh, less than 10 hours after their match, which is true. This is really odd because the Saturday was an evening for some reason, as opposed to afternoon as it's been. And then the uh, actual final on Sunday was afternoon as it always has been. Uh, so you have Shanghai, San Francisco, San Francisco must be seen as the definitive favorite Shanghai dragons. Mm-hmm. They're essentially the Rocky to the San Francisco Apollo creed. Um, Shanghai. I'm just going to run through this. So the final score was four, three Shanghai. So how did it get there? Yeah. You had Shanghai win on Oasis 2-1, win on Mumbani 3-2, win on Lunar Colony or Horizon Lunar Colony 4-3. Very close fights, but at no time 
was their concern that Shanghai wasn't going to somehow figure out how to confound the shock, just like they confounded the right. NYXL, just like they confounded the Titans. And they're here they are at match point. Havana rolls out San Francisco beat Shanghai. Again, I think that map's design doesn't allow for really teams to do what they want to do. They have to sort of adapt to the hard corners. Um, then we go on to uh, Ilios, which, you know, Shanghai chose because that's Shanghai's strongest map. San Francisco pulls out a 2-1 win there. They go to Eichenwald. San Francisco pulls mm. out a 4-3 win. So now we're going into map seven. Shanghai is potentially at risk to being reverse swept. And they got out one of the best, well, I, I don't know how, how to describe this hold, just past the door and Dorado hold. San Francisco had time on the clock and they couldn't amount to anything. Uh, yeah. At one point, I think, was it Sinatra went widow and DM went up there to try to like no scope headshot them. <laughs> like it, it was batty and San Francisco had no answer to it. They had, they had ding flying the skies with the pure abandon. You had DM just in, set up indestructible. Yeah. And you had like DM set up, just scope right down into spawn. So then the, the shock like, okay, we'll go down the hallway. Well, ding was just waiting there to go and unleash fury. Like it was, San Francisco couldn't do anything right. They were popping alts galore to get out of spawn and to <laughs> no avail. I, I was blown away. Now I just want to also point out, I was at the Vancouver Titans uh, state tree final watch party, which uh, I'll be honest, kind of a, I, I, I get that they want to sort of celebrate, but maybe not the best match to go and put all your money on. Uh, Cause it got called out on the broadcast. Um, oh, like <laughs> I didn't see that. So on Thursday night, uh, they, uh, on watch point, uh, actually called out and said, Hey, look, the Vancouver Titans already have a watch party for the stage three final. <laughs> Isn't that a little presumptive? Oh, wow. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. But, uh, it was a good time. It's not like, yeah, it's not like these watch parties are new with the Titans. They've been rolling this whole time. I mean, you know, that's how I met uh, uh, Sam uh, a few uh, what was it uh, uh, yeah. a couple of months mm -hmm. ago uh, during that watch party. So it's it's been happening. Maybe it's a little cheeky to schedule one without having guaranteed the spot, but this was something that was probably prearranged as a business thing, oh, and yeah. uh, they they probably couldn't get out of it. So. I, I understand. You got to take the shots when they come. And uh, that, you know what? That's a fair shot to take. Yeah, we've earned it fair and square, really. <laughs> um, about the game, yeah, this was, again, one of those matches that I don't know how. Even though, like, last map, I was a bit scared for the Dragons. I thought, oh, here it comes. They won three in a row, then uh, the reverse sweep. But, mm -hmm. like, even looking at our maps against um, Shanghai, some of these maps including all those C9s, we could have taken the other way. Now, I don't think that we deserve to win. Not at all. I mean, Shanghai was by by far the best team in the playoffs. They beat NYXL, they beat us, they beat the Shock. But yeah, some of these maps, especially when you go up against a triple DPS or something as volatile, you, you might take those maps away. But the Shock, very similarly to the Titans, um, they... They did try a few things. It's, it was nice to see Striker and Architect play. In that first map, but yeah. despite yeah, despite that comeback, they were playing the to the 
DM ding tune, uh, not unlike what we did. And yeah. Sinatra scrambling around. Okay, even we saw some comms. It's like, oh, I don't know. I'll go Tracer. I'll go Tracer against that Doomfist. And then, oh, I'll, I'll go and play Widow. We didn't see that part, but that's I assume that's what was going behind. Uh, when you see that turmoil behind the team and you're not really sure even what, what comp you're going to roll out, that's basically you admitting defeat against this composition that uh, Shanghai. Shanghai in this weekend, they literally killed goats yeah and not not once but three times in a row so we all go back to that point of oh it's a 0 and 40 team but it's basically kong du panthera but with gamsu instead of roar which is a great upgrade now as he's a much better wrecking ball and dm instead of dk and dm right now is the hottest dps around so they're a great team right and um i'm not sure if they are as sustainable because because dps Teams and we saw that with um, with uh, London and and Philly last season. Nobody could anticipate that these these will be the you know the champ and the runner up. Everybody were um, hailing NYXL as the best team, but these DPS teams they can have a hot week, they can have a hot stage, and I don't know if they'll ever get to that peak. But you know, another thing to like give them credit because I'm kind of uh, shooting them down here. They looked unfazed. They were super focused and they had great bravado between those matches. They kind of reminded me of, of the Titans whenever they came up to talk after the, the, the victory. They were like, oh, no, no problem. We're going to annihilate uh, the Titans. And then, <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. We're going to kill the Shock just just as easily. So kudos to them. And finally, DP, playing these DPS comps well is not just, you know, brain dead, good aim and mechanics. It takes a lot yeah. of coordination, teamwork, throwing a ton of resources to that Farah, a ton of resources to that Doomfist. And it's hard to keep your comp alive against such great teams like uh, the Titans or the Shock. So it's not just DM or or uh, Ding. or uh, It's also a lot of great plays, like you said before, from Kama. Crazy uh, mercy plays. They had this one play in... Um, horizon where he just jumped ahead in front of uh, uh the pharaoh when she barraged just to save her or or luffy mm-hmm. and, and Gamsu again on the wrecking ball like you said that hive mind that's kind of how that felt yeah. so uh, it's it's a, a nice ending to be sure for for what is probably the last stage finals that we're going to have. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> uh, true, as we're going to talk about in the in the fray. Um, I just want to uh, share two things. First and foremost, at the watch party, definitively behind the Shanghai Dragons. Like, right. it was, they did a, you know, by the science of a cheer vote, there was one booth that was supporting the shock, and everyone else was behind the Dragons. Uh, yeah, every time, the underdog. Every time the Dragons won, the crowd just got, you know, hotter and hotter then when we started to see the potential for a worse for your sweep a lot of nervous energy um mm-hmm. and when they pulled off the win on dorado uh crowd went nuts it was actually just as uh <laughs> hot as as we've seen when the titans watch parties uh have had the titans win the other point i want to share yeah. the ones of dorado so the yeah. san francisco shock dealt just over thirty six thousand in damage okay that's equivalent to ding and diem alone <laughs> wow. See, yeah, that's 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 a huge point. And I think the map really was suitable for the way the dragons like to roll out with their comps. Like you're talking about a map that has high 
uh, ceiling space so that if you want to play Vera, you have plenty of places to hide behind, plenty of opportunities to get the right angles, and a lot of places where Widow can go and hide and, and continue to rail down a, a, a barrage of bullets. And that's exactly what the Dragons had been doing all weekend long. So it, for them, this was kind of the perfect map to end off the final series. And uh, you know what? In a way, I'm sure the Shock knew it too. Like as soon as Dorado turned around, they were like, oh, no. This is the map where we're going to have to get some heavy punishment taken uh, to us because this is a map that really suits the way the dragons play. It's kind of like the way Havana is not Mm -hmm. very viable for the goats. Dorado is very viable for heavy DPS Mm -hmm. formats like the dragons rolled out with. Yeah, and and that was the difference. I I, I just want to point out, Youngjin, he was 300 less damage than DM at uh, Mm 10.4k. DM had the 10.7. But like you look at, I mean, again, Granted, they're playing a, a DPS lineup there, but Youngjin was on Hog, and he yeah, dealt that's more the, than any other Shock player did. And being uh, spawn camped would do that to you. That's true. <laughs> that's what I always keep saying. Point, yeah. That's what I always keep telling my wife when we do. I just just keep boosting me up here in the air. You don't have to go down there and heal the rest of the team. It's, it's not really helpful. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Koma didn't have to because. Luffy was essentially like hitting every single shot. Uh, he, he dealt somehow 4,000 damage himself. I don't know how. He only actually healed 7,000. Like yeah. Luffy didn't actually need to contribute as much healing. But again, that's because San Francisco, yeah, they couldn't get out of spawn. You know. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. Uh, so just be, before we go and finish this topic, let's just, I'll, I'll be up front here. And if, if the shock did beat the, the dragons in this playoffs, I'm, there would be so much more salt in this pod right now. So <laughs> they definitely brightened up my evening when they won. Well, I think it brightened up the many people's evenings, uh, especially <laughs> on, on Sunday when we were watching that, uh, that stage three final. Now, uh, it would be remiss to not mention that the fact that stage four uh, doesn't start until the 25th. So we've got another full week to go before we're going to see uh, our Vancouver Titans back in action. Uh, do you guys know who they play on stage four week one? Ooh, uh, no, I, I don't actually uh, I haven't checked. Uh, do we do we already know? Is that information? Now? Are you going to you're going to unveil this little little tidbit? It's here? the Shanghai Dragons. Oh, juicy. Oh, I like that a lot. On Thursday, that's now, right. Thursday night on the 25th, the Vancouver Titans are going to be facing off against the Shanghai Dragons in what might be a stage with a 2-2-2 lock. Uh, we still don't know anything about that. Um, we are going to talk a little bit more about the uh, the Titans in the fray because there's been some news as to what's going to happen in 2020. Um, but mm. before we wrap up the payload, one other final little tidbit. The Vancouver Titans need to win simply three more matches to clinch the number one seed in the Pacific. That's all they need. Excellent. Three wins. Yeah. Is there any doubt that they can't win three times in stage four? Well, just looking at week one, I see that we play Florida. So that's two wins to uh, okay. <laughs> get there. Well, I'm not going to give the Titans a win over the Dragons <laughs> at this point. But they, the Titans well, shouldn't it, lose to Florida. Yeah. And then when we go to week two, we play the Justice. And then Philly. Right. Yeah. And then there's a, a London in there. There's a as well. And then uh, we've got uh, New York and I think uh, San Francisco at one point at the homestand. Yeah. So 
the last two games is San Francisco and NYXL. But we've seen the Vancouver Titans beat NYXL. We've seen the Vancouver Titans beat San Francisco. But again, the the, the whole idea of this 2-2-2 could possibly, you know, throw things for a loop. Anyhow, we'll take a short break uh, as we uh, dive into the fray. As we mentioned at the top of our episode, normally this type of news comes out moments after we publish our episode. So our episodes go out Wednesday, high noon Pacific, and then the Overwatch League five minutes later goes and shares all the greatest news that they could have possibly shared without looping us in. So I got a little angry. I, I sent a, a, an email uh, to the new commission saying, hey, why do you keep doing us dirty? Yeah, I got a, a, an email reply that says, sup, dog, we won't do it no more. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, Overwatch League announced today that uh, the 2020 season is going to see a number of changes. So let me just quickly run through all of them. First and foremost, uh, the Atlantic and Pacific divisions that we know of as today are now going to be named conferences. And within each of these two conferences, they'll be split into two divisions. So in the Pacific, you're going to have Pacific East and Pacific West. So the Vancouver Titans are going to be part of Pacific West. Pacific East is essentially uh, the teams in Asia. And the Atlantic Mm -hmm. Conference is going to be at the Atlantic North Division and the Atlantic South Division. So you've got your European teams as part of Atlantic North and then Atlantic South, uh, those in Southern North America. And the way it'll work is that uh, there will be 52 matches over the course of, uh, or sorry, 52, they call it homestand weekend, start the season. That's 52 homestand weekend matches throughout the season with each team hosting at least two weekends. And then uh, teams will also be hosting three regular season events within their territories. I- I'm curious the language there, what they mean by events, like as, like uh, promotional matches or something like that. That I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, teams themselves are going to play 28 matches between February and August with all matches being on weekends. Now, whether that includes Friday or not, not sure, but at least we know it's Saturday and Sunday, but the times will be optimized for local markets. Now, I presume homestand, that makes sense, but will it also apply to the matches that are played uh, at the Blizzard Arena in LA? That'll be uh, something we'll learn as the news continues to trickle out. Uh, Stage finals, they're gone. There's no stage playoffs anymore. All there will be is a playoff leading into the grand finals. The midseason all-star game will still be around. And the Vancouver Titans have already announced that they will have homestand events. And those events are going to be held in Rogers Arena, which for those who listen to me in our Discord, uh, at meetups and whatnot, I have said time and time again, my money was on the Rog. Um, having followed the, the Canucks current ownership group and sort of how they've looked at the organization, I couldn't imagine a world where they didn't have it in the Rog. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but it doesn't occur to me that the Aquilinis enjoy sharing. <laughs> uh you're you're probably not wrong about that latter point for sure i mean hey if you can maximize profits and bring the money right into your into your wallet without having to split the goods uh you you probably go for that any time of the week i'm i i gotta say i'm a little surprised that it's going to the raj i 
I had done, uh, at least attempted to do a little bit of digging um, several months ago about, okay, uh, we know for sure this next season for Overwatch League, teams are going to have quote-unquote home games. And I had been very curious because if you uh, think about Rogers Arena as a sports venue, it's not just the Vancouver Canucks anymore, but the Vancouver Warriors Mm -hmm. of the National Lacrosse League also call that venue their home. And they also play on the weekend. Their motto, their their business slogan is Weekend Warriors. So I, I had always been a little curious. I'm like, okay, there's going to there's going to be at least a few weeks where there's going to be some scheduling conflict. So maybe the Rogers Arena wouldn't end up being the actual venue. So that got my brain clicking a little bit. I know the Pacific Coliseum had done, you know, the Dota 2 Invitational a couple of years ago. So I thought maybe there was a possibility of them going there. Uh, I thought maybe this new gaming stadium that opened up very recently in Richmond, I thought maybe that would have been a good venue. But then after talking with some of the organizers at the gaming stadium, they said they actually did have a conversation with uh, the Vancouver Titans group, but ultimately decided that the gaming stadium was too small of, of the kind of venue they were looking for. So at the end of the day, Rogers Arena does make the most sense from a business standpoint. I, I'm just a little surprised to see that it's the ultimate venue for the Overwatch, uh, sorry, for the uh, Vancouver Titans here. But money talks. And maybe, uh, as uh, as Lightforce was saying there, that's kind of what determined this whole thing. Yeah. I think it might have even determined the fact that we we do have a team here in Vancouver. I'm pretty sure that one of the selling points for the Aquilines is, oh, we're going to be able to... Uh, Throw them into our arena in a couple of years. Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll I'll go into that. So it's definitely a plus. Even a you know a moderately filled arena, not like a jam packed arena, is producing more than an empty one. Mm. Uh, in terms of place, yeah, um, I guess if there are hundreds of thousands of fans coming in, we can let them play in the BC place, <laughs> <laughs> right, right on the pitch. Oh. But yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes. I'm more curious about how they're going to set it up in terms of uh, yeah. I mean, the Jumbotron there is not – it's it's big, right? But it's far up. Well, you guys know how it looks in uh, like hockey arenas or basketball it, it, It's going to be concert style as opposed to bowl style. I think that's yeah. pretty clear. Um, and as far as concerts, I mean, that's actually another, you know, scheduling, you know, massage yeah. point because – uh, ultimately, they want the Raj to constantly be in use. When it's sitting there not doing anything, it's not making money. So right. I, I, I agree. Well, it's it's weird that, you know, Overwatch League will come into a very large barn. Uh, that's especially when it's not <laughs> like the Grand Finals where it's a destination event. But if the homestand no. weekends as they are structured are going to be promoted as a, hey, everyone come to us style location. Right. Then it makes a little more sense, similar to how we saw the three homestand or two of the three homestand weekends so far this season. I, again, we, I don't, I, I truly don't know. I and mean, it's, it's not like anyone has told us anything. Uh, I just know again from experience that it's the, uh, you know, going to the Pacific Coliseum, it's going to cost you some cash. You lose the gate, you lose the yeah. concession and a little bit right. more to go with it. Uh, you go to, you know, public transit. Sorry. Uh, sorry, I was just saying it's very tricky to get to the Coliseum using public transit. Agreed. I mean, I, so I'm a, a Whitecaps uh, season ticket holder. So for those that don't know, the Whitecaps are the, the local soccer or football team, depending on where you are listening to this podcast, which qualifies. Uh, I loved when the Vancouver Whitecaps played at the temporary Empire Stadium that was built. Yeah, uh, the mm. problem, I hated having lived in Richmond trying to get there 
and then get home. Like it was, it was rough because it wasn't, it wasn't built to funnel people to and from. So yeah, Pacific Coliseum's in the, in the same area, same problem. Uh, the gaming stadium makes sense transit wise, but I love the gaming stadium. I think it is maybe a little too small, especially when we see yeah. the homestand style event being set up because it only can handle maybe a, uh, a couple hundred people. And so far exactly. it's yeah. like a few thousand that we're seeing show up, you know, in Atlanta and as, uh, as well. Right. And then uh, was Houston was the other one, right? Dallas. Dallas. Okay. I knew it was Texas. I flipped a coin. I got it wrong. I like it. I mean, I definitely think that having uh, the games constantly in the blizzard arena in LA kind of weared off the novelty of it all. And you definitely saw less crowd, uh, at least physical crowd in the stands um, this season compared to last season. And when we did have those homestand events, uh, people came in, people who were hungry to see a live Overwatch League match. It was really hyped up and I can't wait to see it in here. Three things about us playing in the Rogers arena. I honestly want to see some banners thrown up there, like kind of what we see with the Canucks players, even something moderately small, not, not the same size or exposure, but I want to see a Sasquatch logo up there. Something like that. Uh, another little pointer to note is that when they came and visited here, they were really excited to, uh, they, they all, I don't know why, but they said this was one of the most uh, memorable experiences here to just show up there in the Rogers arena, watch a hockey game and, sh- and walk up on that ice. I hope there won't be any ice when they play <laughs> in that arena, but it seemed like they liked that place. And the last thing, I don't know if it's, there's a schedule issue. They're just going to have to say like, I'm sorry, Kanye, but uh, the Washington justice are in town and you'll have to uh, <laughs> move aside. <laughs> yeah, that's because that's, that's totally how it works. I challenge to tell that Kanye West to his face and see how that goes. He's not, uh, from what we understand about Kanye West, not the most agreeable character. Um, but uh, it, it, it's interesting because I think you like don't anticipate that it's going to be all eighteen thousand seats that are going to be made available. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it would be probably closer to half of that. And, and maybe even less because, uh, as you guys pointed out with the homestand events uh, in, in Dallas and in Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta venue had a capacity of, of just over 2,500 people. Mm-hmm. And in Dallas, they had a venue that was just over 8,000 people. And they were, I think, both sold out events. Don't get me wrong. It's just that this is, uh, this is still something new for the ownership group, the Aquilini uh, Investment Group. And I think they would probably try to slow roll it. So maybe the first couple of times mm-hmm. have smaller. And then, you know, as there's more demand and as there's more success with it, probably gradually grow and open up more seats. But start small and then go big. Because I think it probably doesn't look good if you have, let's say, the entire lower bowl set up the way they do with the concert. But then there's huge chunks of the seats that are vacant. Right. And then it doesn't translate really well to a broadcast that way. No, not at all. So – and a question to you guys, you might know, when they do have that lacrosse match or when they have a, a, a show there, a concert, how quickly do they transform, um, you know, the rink itself from ice to like, grass? Can they just place seats there uh, quickly on the pitch itself and have them, uh, you know, set up the stage around one of the goal areas instead of people having to sit around uh, the rink in, in the regular seating places? Well, I think Will that be historically, I think... Then- John, you probably know this better, but like when the Grizzlies were in town, the turnover was like 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. They throw, they just, they essentially threw a cover down on the ice and then they rolled out the, you know, the whatever 
plywood polycarbonate, whatever the heck the the surface yeah. was for the NBA. Um, I would imagine it's something similar, probably for lacrosse, where they're running, rolling out the, the field yeah. turf and that. I, I uh, that's an odd example you chose there. Like, well, okay, I, the reason basketball's on my mind is you had mentioned <laughs> hanging banners. So I remember when both the Vancouver Canucks and the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies both played in that barn, <laughs> and uh, up in the sort of you know rafters where I guess the sports bar sort of is now they used to yeah. have like these uh uh neon lights that would turn on depending who was playing so it was like a mm. vancouver grizzlies theme one for basketball and then it was the canucks for uh hockey and when the grizzlies left town they still had those lights up there for the longest time it was really awkward <laughs> i think 12 hours would be a correct estimation though and uh maybe a little bit longer if you're directly disassembling a, a hockey rink because you also have to take down the penalty box area all the sideboards and all the glass but this is you know the it's what they do, and, and and they've routinely done it over the past number of years to disassemble the hockey gear and set it up for a concert, and then vice versa. Sometimes they have other sort of uh, shows, uh, not necessarily concerts, but actual shows happening at Rogers Arena. So I think the crew are definitely going to be top-notch. So I, don't, I, I have no issues, I have no concerns with the crew being able to handle the technical aspect of disassembling and getting things ready for uh, an Overwatch League game uh, match performance. Uh, I, again, I'm just wondering how are they going to set up the stage how many seats are going to be made available will suites be made available is there going to be a season ticket program and here's one thing i'm wondering because throughout this whole overwatch league to this point they've broadcasted out of uh, you know their location there in la will broadcasters then be on the road to sort of yeah. have those interviews with players and teams because that i think will also give it authentic air of, mm -hmm. of professional broadcasting and uh, hopefully you know it also creates a, a an exciting new um experience for the broadcasters to be like hey today i'm going to be in vancouver in a couple of weeks i'm going to be in london for one of these games like it also gives them a, a step up and a boost up to gain a little bit more recognition and exposure mm -hmm. for for themselves as well. so I, I i fully am on board with this i love moving to divisions i love moving to uh the conferences like this uh, i'm excited that it's coming to vancouver and i hope that uh, this is the start of the, you know, not just the Vancouver Titans, but the Overwatch League popularity really starting to take off as uh, the next season rolls around for 2020. And I think that's actually key because I, uh, I do know uh, that the Vancouver Titans of themselves really tried to connect with Vancouver market. And having been a biased Vancouver sports fan, you know, my entire life, uh, Vancouver supports Vancouver. Uh, yeah. And, right. you know, sure, when there isn't a sort of a, dog in the fight you might see fans sort of support a team out of seattle or potentially toronto uh. but you know ultimately <laughs> you you need that presence and i think having the events here is what's going to start to get the get some traction the other component that's still a question mark is uh esports in general I mean, there are people that just yeah, you know, does not compute, but uh, there are those that are, are slowly coming around. Hell, if my parents can sit down and watch the Overwatch League on TV uh, because I happen to have a podcast on it, you know, <laughs> we're winning. Hmm. Um, yeah. Moving on, let's talk about moves. So this this one I, I wanted to lead off with. Uh, Stellar, who had retired after stage one, formerly of the Toronto Defiant, I guess got uh, bored at the retirement home. <laughs> 
And he is joining the Boston Uprising. So first and foremost, again, if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard us wonder about the retirement component. And we, we do <laughs> acknowledge that there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress um, that, you know, these players who are essentially kids face, you know, having to compete, yeah. having to perform. But the term retirement just seems odd because are you truly retired? You're, you're young, you're still capable. And as we're now seeing, Stellar is joining the uprising. Now, interestingly enough, he's also DPS, which, you know, further adds credence to the 222 and the uprising making a, a preliminary move. But, uh, John, right. I want your take on this. When you hear uh, an esports player retiring, does that equate quite right? Or is that just me, like being, you know, someone who's grown up in traditional sports? When a player retires, it's because they truly do. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think like if you retire for medical reasons, like, you know, maybe you, you, your, your wrists got, uh, you know, whatever arthritis, uh, hopefully not, but you know, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone can get behind it and you know, we wish you well, you had a great career so long, but if you're retiring and you're still kind of within the prime of your career and there's no viable explanation for it, you might as well just say like, I've quit this team. I'm a free agent. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to perfect what my skills are. And I'll be made available for other teams within a few months or like well, however long you're going to be available for. It's a little strange because I know, okay, for example, in the NHL, if a player retires from the league and then a couple of years later decide, hey, I want to come back, every single team in the entire league needs to sign off on it. If even a single team was to say, nope, we don't want this guy coming back. We think it's unfair. He officially signed his papers. He's retired. That player is not allowed to come back in. So maybe this is something, I don't know, the Overwatch League can look at in the future, where if you're officially going to submit your retirement papers, you better be sure, because uh, otherwise you're kind of leaving your fate into the hands of other teams who kind of get a say as to whether or not you're allowed to come back. And I, you know, the, the thing that specifically with Stellar that confuses me is that, I mean, we don't, first of all, we don't, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. His retirement may have been a mutual agreement and maybe the term that was used of his departure from Toronto. But again, in the traditional sports world, your rights don't suddenly just open up mm. because you retire. You're still technically part of the organization. Like you mm. become an alumni member of that organization. Yeah. So him, him signing with the uprising again, I there's, there's some, there's things about the Overwatch League that I just don't quite understand, and I often refer to it as being akin to what we see with Major League Soccer, where a lot of this stuff has been written on a napkin at a diner somewhere in the <laughs> Southwest U.S. You're not wrong. So, you know, it's a it's a work in progress. Eventually, maybe, you know, we'll see this more and more. They'll actually come out and have sort of definitive, you know, rules. And I, I know I'm spoiled. Like in the NHL, I can go and look at the collective bargaining agreement. It's online. Right. I can read yeah. it if I really want to, or I need to fall asleep. It's a struggle to find out the rules in the Overwatch League. Things happen, and then they sort of react like, oh, yeah, here's what this was. Um, the other moves that we saw are the Washington Justice adding uh, Elivote, who's an off tank, and Lulshish, who's a main tank from Team Envy. What makes this interesting is Team Envy, who is actively in contenders, uh, had a much smaller roster as a result with these two tanks moving up to the big leagues. One, does this make the justice better? And two, is this not something that's still odd where another organization gets sort of thrown under the bus? It's not odd when you consider the fact that contenders 
for better or worse, is a sort of a combine or a development league for, and everybody there wants to get to the major yeah, league. I, I so get that. I, it's, and I, I definitely, I don't knock the players. Yeah. I don't knock like the, the path to pro, like that part. I, I completely get. It's just that a move like this happening sort of when yeah. it happened, it's, yeah, it's, like right. if you, it's not like the Justins are going to be back into the uh, stage four playoffs all of a sudden going on a miracle run, well, right? We don't anticipate that. I think they're done. I don't think that. I think mathematically they're done. They don't even have a okay. shot now. Yeah. So the timing, you're right. It, it does puzzle me because the angry Titans, I'm sure, are not too thrilled about the timing of all it. So yeah. I, I agree. Like I think it's kind of a a slap in the face for that team. But I guess if you're the two players, like moving from the contenders into the Overwatch League, like it, it's a move you're willing to do. Um, every day of the week, oh, yeah. right? So yeah. it, I can get from their perspective. The optics of it, though, you're right, probably a little greasy. Yeah. And then there could mm. be more, again, that we don't know. It could have been uh, some form of you know financial arrangement. Uh, sure. You know, yep. And I, again, it's 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 very possible. It's just again from the again I come from the world of traditional sports, and I'll always sort of have that lens where, hmm, you know, it, it seems to be. Regardless, we have congratulations none of that. <laughs> to Elevote and Los For your like second question, I definitely think that will be an improvement because you can't really get any worse. Same <laughs> <laughs> situation on uh, Washington. These two guys, they both from Sweden, have some pre-existing synergy. They played mm-hmm. together before Team Envy. So I hope the best for these guys. Well, as for other Overwatch news, Summer Games is back already. Uh, I believe it last year it would have been in August, but uh, we got a dev update from uh, Uncle Jeff Kaplan uh, last week where he talked about Summer Games coming soon. Uh, and uh, as a result, it went live today. I kind of wish I had known it was going to go live today because I had already started cracking away at those uh, uh, loot crates of the mystery heroes, like the arcade ones. So all I was oh. able to acquire was one of the Summer Games crates. Uh, but uh, the patch uh, has a bunch of new skins. Now, with Summer Games, there's also week-long unlock events. So for the duration of Summer Games, you want to get your, I think it's probably going to remain the same, but your, your nine wins in any mode. Right. Uh, this week's uh, unlock is a Reaper All-American skin, mm-hmm. uh, which looks suspiciously like uh, Dad 76's uh, uh, All-American skin. Yeah. <laughs> looks nice the uh other thing that uh, came in with this patch outside of a number of you know bug fixes and whatnot is captions are now into the game which i wonder like are we gonna see the overwatch league pros throw captions on specifically so that they can get the not only audio cue but the visual text cue that uh, there's a sombra uncloaking Ooh. if it's allowed they definitely have to it's another sensory like cue for Sombra uncloaks. <laughs> it helps. Yeah. You know, it's, it's everything would be obviously announced. And so you'd see that, but you, you consider like, I, I know when I hear a, a, a widow popper all, like I, as soon as I hear those words, I know that that's happening. But in the, the middle of a fight, I don't always pick up on the Sombra decloak, which yeah. she announces regardless of what she's about to do. So uh, it's to me a competitive advantage. Now, if it's against the rules, hey, I'm okay with that too. I totally get that. But that's not going to stop others in comp from turning them on. And again, please right. don't take it. I want it, this game to be as accessible as possible. It's just it's it's introducing a as you know, Omni said, a, a sensory event. 
I, I think they should keep it legal. I think if you're going to introduce this new asset of the game options, you might as well just have it tacked on to the Overwatch League and let the pro players also learn and, and figure things out that way. Because as it is right now, I think we all agree, not just you, Chris, but like everybody has difficulties trying to figure out when and where the Sombra is going to be jumping out into the middle of a fray and using that EMP. And, and to this point, Unless you're specifically keeping an eye out for it, it's hard to kind of counter it in, in the nick of time. And and maybe this, if they do bring it with the caption, it'll help out just a little bit to the majority of players that can rely on it and, and at least know and anticipate, okay, there's a somber close by. We have like one second to sort of brace for impact for that EMP. Yeah. As it is right now, I don't think there's much of a fair warning that the emp is coming mm. oh inevitably inevitably you're all hacked yeah and i like outside of uh, the Haxel brigida who apparently has like sombradar um, <laughs> yeah no kidding. Where, i don't know how many times he's stunned an uncloaking emp blasting sombra uh, like he just turns spins bashes like he knows just Pro cyber ninja, ninja reflexes you can smell the sombra yeah. coming in and now he'll be yeah, able like- to see when she announces it <laughs> Um, other things that came out of the dev update, though. So uh, Jeff suggests that Hero 31 is going to be available soon, though not as soon as we think based on previous cadence. And he actually talked about how, you know, people have started to do math and they know it's Hero, Map, blah, 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 and it comes through time. So his his reasoning behind it taking a little bit longer is they want to get this Hero right but then could that mean that there's something to do with that hero coming out in such a way that it aligns up more effectively with the Overwatch League, which right. again, mm. you know, it's, it's hard to say, but like, you know, timing wise, could there be this, a new hero introduced to really add a further wrinkle going into the, the actual season playoffs, who knows, but why I bring this up season 17 of competitive is shorter yes. than normal. Yep. So it's it's ending essentially a month from now, a little bit less than that. Mm. So the star, stars are aligning. Right? Like, and that when does the actual season end? The season ends end of August. So we're going to have competitive end relatively close to the end of the Overwatch League season. Hero 31 coming soon, just not as soon as you think. And I'm putting tinfoil on my head right now. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if it's going to impact the Overwatch League. I could see your argument because I, honestly, I didn't think of it before you just brought it up. So I'm trying to get the gears of my brain going. I apologize because I'm on vacation mode right now. So I'm, my brain's a little foggy. But I, I had this theory that this next hero might be one of the first all melee heroes in Overwatch. Like I know like when you know Genji uses his alt, obviously uh, it's it's a melee alt. And when Winston is using Primal Rage, it's also melee. And Brigida technically, I guess you could consider melee, but like someone who has to be right up in your face to deal damage or or some sort of uh, support like if it's going to be healer. I wonder if it was maybe going to be that because like most, if not if, if I'm not mistaken, all the heroes have some sort of uh, some sort of a projectile right now. And if you introduce a melee hero, obviously there needs to be a way for that hero to be successful within the meta. So I was like, like that's where my tinfoil hat was going. But if it's more of a traditional projectile based hero, that's also going to line up with the Overwatch League. 
honestly, that probably makes more sense. My whole melee thing is probably just fantasy dream ideas that uh, might never come to fruition. <laughs> In my eyes, uh, I I also have a tinfoil hat on. I I'm a big fan of that uh, <laughs> of that um, theory because I think uh, as we are going into that two to two lock. And the date of the season, 17th season ending, also corresponds to that. Heroes will behave differently. Once you have only two tanks, when you, you are limited to only um, two uh, healers, that brings in a whole another wave of uh, small adjustments that will be required to make some heroes viable, some uh, less viable. So I think that will cor- correlate to that. I'm anticipating actually the... That evil tank guy that we saw from the um, Malga Doomfist. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. or we also could see that evil Omnic that we saw in the event. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Mm. Who knows? I definitely uh, anticipate an evil one. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess so. When you say evil, like theoretically, Baptiste was, but then. Alan, right? Yeah, but he's kind of reformed, yeah, I yeah. guess. I, 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 yeah, uh, I totally see what you're saying. Though. I mean, yeah, Talon. We're missing, we're missing straight up villains, if you know what I mean. Well, but that's that's the thing is the Overwatch, you know, meta is defined as who is actually the bad guy. It's that, mm. that you know everlasting question. Yeah, you know what? This is we all know it's symmetra. Yeah, totally a Symmetra. That's that's why that's why John uh, Mazer. Uh, this is right. This has been a heck of an episode. I was just looking at the time. We're we're like an hour and almost a half in. I had planned on this episode being an hour. So first of all, John, thank you for joining us for as long as this has gone. I think we've had a fantastic conversation. I hope you'll join us again, I mean, or yeah, maybe you'll have blocked us on Twitter and that by now. Yes, please get out of my DMs. Stop sliding. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. No, this was uh, this was an absolute blast. Uh, I'm always happy to talk Overwatch. Uh, thank you for having me on Ready Set Phone. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and now I, I'm just gonna keep working on my tinfoil hat and, and wondering now. Boy, I'm not gonna get any sleep because Hero Thirty One is gonna be on my mind for the next several weeks as we uh, try to find out what's happening next in the world of Overwatch. I hope he has a tinfoil hat, the hero. Oh, that'd be great! Hey, like a skin that's a tinfoil hat. Oh, my. <laughs> they need to make this a thing. I'll will send a, an email to to Jeff right now. I totally got his, <laughs> his email address. Um, as for the everyone else who has tuned in so far, again, thank you so much for for listening to the podcast. I, we, we truly appreciate that. Uh, you know, we have people not only talk to us in Discord, but at the different watch parties through social media. Um, the greatest thing that you can do to reward us is by clicking that little subscribe button for the podcast and whatever application you happen to be listening to us in. We're pretty much everywhere. I try to make sure that that's the case. If you do want to reach out to us, though, here at the podcast, uh, you can reach out to us pretty much every which way that is possible. We're on all the social media platforms at Ready, Set, Pwn on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us there. Uh, you can reach us by email, feedback at readysetpone.com. Go to the blog, readysetpone.com. There's a contact page. And much to the chagrin of Sam and Omni, we even have a phone number that you can either one text or two 
leave a voicemail with. Uh, that phone number is area code 604-409-3324. For those who aren't in Canada or United States, it's country code 1, area code 604-409-3324. I actually got to meet uh, Corin, uh, who is the uh, gentleman who left the voicemail a few episodes back. He came down to the, the watch party. So thanks for stopping by the uh, the table and saying hello. But uh, Omni, any uh, final words of wisdom that you uh, wish to share to our all of our listeners? I'm just going to summarize these stage playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a goat that was choking and died. That's yeah. it. That's that's it. That's I, I can't. I cannot argue with that. <laughs> and, and John, how about yourself? Anything you'd like to, to share uh, some final words? I am loving Lucio Ball. They need to make this a year-long thing so that I can continue <laughs> to integrate sports and video games together and uh, hopefully uh, get you know, become the like the Vancouver Titans of Lucio Ball moving forward. That is my <laughs> dream right here. That's It squeaks now. It does? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's Wrecking Ball. His... Uh, he has a Lucio Ball skin now, and it, really? every time you move it, it squeaks. Okay, see, now I love this game mode even more. Like, please make this a full-time thing. Throw it in the arcade. Please listen, Jeff. If you could throw that in the email, Chris. I, I will. I will I will add that as a, <laughs> as an addendum to the email that I'm sending to Jeff. I've taken very profuse notes. Um, I have a question for you, though. Uh, when are we going to get more Overwatch League coverage on uh, 650? Yeah, great question. So we have a, a specific one-hour show every week with Max Sussman, uh, who is the host of uh, the gaming show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, it's not always Overwatch-focused, so to answer your question, I'm not sure. Uh, I do know that we're going to hopefully get a chance to sit down with some of the Titans guys uh, as the weeks go on and hopefully leading up to the 2020 season. But uh, if anyone is going to be able to provide more Overwatch League content, I'm, I'm definitely going to try and be that guy for Sportsnet. So fingers crossed that we get more content as uh, Vancouver gets a professional sports team soon playing right here in Vancouver by the name of the Titans. Hashtag Force of Nature. Right? <laughs> That's true. Uh, as for the missing in action, Sam, uh, he should be back next week. So for those of you who are worried that you haven't been getting hot takes about the Seoul Dynasty, the Shanghai Dragons, and a distinct dislike of the Toronto Defiant, all things <laughs> will be returned to normal next week. Uh, but on behalf of Omni at Omni Strife, John at John Jang on Twitter for those that want to follow him or tune in to 6.50 a.m. on your local radio dial, although Sportsnet 6.50 is also accessible for anyone who happens to be listening online worldwide. Uh, you're on uh, from 10 to noon, Monday to Friday, approximately. When uh, 9 to noon. Like to, uh, yeah, pretty much right in there. Yeah, and yeah. I try to keep track of, of the times. It's just you're, you work when I work, and my office yeah. is keen to have the radio on. That's fair. I can understand. But you're, you're, you're freaking. You're thank you so much. I uh, hope, again, that you uh, join us for, for future episodes. This one has been a blast. And, uh, again, for all of our listeners, if you need a Symmetra main to carry you to glorious victory, <laughs> John's your guy. So on behalf of beyond myself, Chris at Lightforce, and the Missing Action Sam at another Sam Chan. I'm going to sign off with those magic two words. Hatchrays!